the 132nd edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive, gets it back out to him, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. Matthews, off the mark, and this year the confetti... It's going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, yes, we're still here. It's been about a two, two and a half week hiatus for the podcast. And uh, to be quite, uh, quite honest with you guys, first off, um, not a lot of news going on around Carolina basketball the last couple of weeks. And also, uh, we were just kind of lazy. Um, Anthony didn't want to record some days. Some days I didn't record as well. But uh, now we're back. We've got a lot of news to talk about um, as Carolina added to its roster for the upcoming season. Hubert Davis have met with the media last week. A Tar Heel legend passed away, and a member of the pod met another Tar Heel legend. But before we get any of that stuff, we start every edition of the pod, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day. And we go to 2017 national champion, Theo Pinson. As Theo is quoted as saying, being a good person, being a good person, having good character, I think that goes a long way. It's definitely gone a long way for Theo as he's carved out a role in the NBA as the ultimate bench guy, a guy that uh, we've saw up close with the Knicks was a big part of their culture two years ago, was a big part of the Mavs culture this past season and their run to the Western Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to say that my, you know, my best friend is a good person, has good character, and, and that's why the pod is is as successful as it's as it has been and as it's going to be in the future. So there's our pod thought of the day. Let's dive right into the news, uh, Anthony. Last time we talked on the pod, it was Carolina missing on a transfer target. That was Matthew Mayer, who who turned down a chance to come to Carolina to go to Illinois and be a part of Brad Underwood's program as they try to break through the NCAA tournament second round next season and uh in that podcast we started trying to find other guys that carolina could and should target to add to the roster for this upcoming season and the name that made the most sense that was the most likely candidate to come to chapel hill and be a part of the program was northwestern forward pete nance 
And he was coming off a spectacular season where he averaged nearly 15 points per game on 50% shooting and a career-best 45% shooting from behind the three-point line. And uh, not as much as a stretch four as Brady Manick was when he came in last year from Oklahoma, but Nance is a guy that um, had was working on his perimeter game as, as many big guys have to now because that's the way the game is being played, if, especially if they have aspirations of going to the next level. And so we, I, we identified him. Carolina had been in contact with him when he entered the portal at first. Of course, he entered the NBA draft process as well, which drew his name the day of the deadline. And um, over the weekend on Saturday, he did, in, 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 in fact, commit to Carolina for the upcoming season. As, as Carolina's roster will now be complete, um, they've now reached the scholarship limit, and even if the NCAA deems Leaky Black a non-scholarship player, or that scholarship won't count against the scholarship limit, it's hard to imagine Carolina making any more moves to its roster ahead of the season. So, uh, Anthony, this was a guy that you were pretty big on, even from the, the jump when, when the season kind of first came to an end and we were kind of looking at transfer targets all around. Uh, you know, I had my eyes and heart set on Terrence Shannon, Fell in love with the idea of Matthew Mayer, but you you were the one that kept pushing Pete Nance, Pete Nance as a possibility. So I'll ask you, buddy, what does he bring to the Tar Heels for this upcoming season? Well, I mean, he brings the presence of a guy that, you know, kind of fits more of what Carolina has had with their big man in the past. And I think, you know, he, he probably fits a, more of what people thought Dawson Garcia was going to be last year than you know, what he ultimately became. So this, I think, is it's not a guy that fits like a glove to fill the void that Brady Manick left behind. He's going to be a little bit of a different player. There's no denying that. But this is still a guy that has a jumper. I mean, look, in two of the last three seasons, he's taken 90 or more threes from the outside. So it's not a guy that is foreign to going out there. It's definitely not the amount that you saw from Brady Manick. But at the same time, this is a guy that you're, you know, kind of hoping comes in and has, you know, an impact for you. And you just see, look, is it as big of an impact as what you saw from Brady Manick or not? And if it's not, you've got a guy in Puff Johnson that now gets a little bit of time to grow. He fits more of that role of what Brady Manick gave to you on the offensive end of the floor. And so I think that's, you know, ultimately what he brings. He's a guy that, look, he's not going to be sort of unfamiliar with having to put his team on his back if there is a stretch where he has to do that in a game or over a, a stretch of a couple of games because – well, he had to do that at Northwestern. He was easily their best player. He's dealt with double teams before. So he's going to know what it's like to have attention on him. And to be honest with you, he's probably going to be freed up a lot more in this system with Carolina this year than he was at Northwestern because clearly a guy like Armando Baycott is going to gain you know more attention than he is. The, the two guards that Carolina is returning are going to demand more attention. So this is one of those types of guys that I think, you know, if you're looking for maybe the type of impact that he has, I, I would look for, you know, maybe a guy like Luke May from, you know, a few years ago as a guy that, you know, mainly is going to, you know, the, the main part of his game is going to be 
inside out. Um, but, you know, he has that ability from the outside to hurt you if you let him. I think this is a, a really good pickup for Carolina. And my thing about it is, if there was anybody that's really on the fence about it, what's the harm in picking him up here? He's a guy that's going to come in and more than likely he's going to start the season for you. But look, if Puff Johnson or Dontrez Styles emerges at that spot, or, or maybe it's even the true freshman um, in Jalen Washington, if one of those guys emerges, then that's fine. You, you can always turn him into a bench guy. He could still be an extremely valuable guy for you there. As we've talked about, you know, Carolina still needs to find some depth on that bench. So regardless, this is a guy that's going to come in and make an impact for you in some way. And the thing is, is that, look, the ceiling for him is just about as high as anybody else that you could have gotten in the transfer portal because he's proven before that he can get it done on the offensive end of the floor. I think the one thing that you kind of wonder about him is on the defensive end of the floor. But to be fair, we had similar questions even midseason last year with Brady Manning. I think the thing I like the most about him is he comes in at 6'10", so Carolina isn't losing – any size or height down low because um, Manic last year, of course, came in as a 6'10 forward as well. But in a lot of different ways, unlike with Manic, now there's a little bit more depth in that front court to where, you know, there wasn't many times last year Brady Manic was the only big on the court. You, you never really saw Carolina go that small. It was either him and Baycott or when Dawson Garcia was still a part of the team, you know, some combination of them. But I feel like this is the, the addition of Nance will allow Hubert Davis to to rest Armando Baycott a little bit more often from time to time and allow Carolina to go a little bit smaller with, you know, your two guards and you can have Leakey and, and Styles or Leakey and Puff or whoever's going to make up the three and four combination and then add Pete Nance behind, you know, in, in right there at that five spot. And that's important. Because even though Will Shaver's coming back as a redshirt freshman, he didn't play at all last year. He's he's going to be more familiar with the system than Jalen Washington. But the, we don't know how ready he'll be ready to contribute when the season gets underway. And then as for Jalen Washington, this is a guy who's had two major knee injuries in the last two years. His health is going to be something that's going to be monitored from word go. He's not even participating in five-on-five drills as of right now. But there's still a long way to go before – the start of, of a preseason camp in September. So Carolina in a lot of different ways, they're a little bit more deeper now up front. They can be a little bit more creative with their lineup options as well. And that was something that as well as this team played the last six weeks of the regular of the, of the season last year, that really hindered them. And that, that flaw really came up and it was exposed in that national title game loss to Kansas. So, um, you know, and look, Carolina, um, you know, there was interest from Terrence Shannon on the, on the, on, on wanting to transfer into Carolina, but at the time, you know, they didn't have a scholarship available, so they couldn't actively chase after him. Of course, Matthew Mayer chose Illinois over Carolina. Was Pete Nance the best adequate replacement for what Carolina's losing, you know, on the court in production and off the court leadership with a guy like Brady Manick? I mean, yeah, out of the options that you probably had, I, I would say yes. Um, I mean, in terms of, of leadership, I think that you probably would put him maybe in a similar category just because 
I mean, you look at the role that he's had over the last few years. I mean, he's played 26 or more minutes per game in each of the last three seasons. So this is a guy that comes in having been the guy at his previous school. And I mean, look, Northwestern didn't have a ton of success with him there, but I mean, that's not all his fault. That's a team that frankly is not going to be built to win very often. Uh, Chris Collins, you know, and you hate to say it because he's a dookie, but it, when he got them to the tournament a few years back, uh, that was one of the greatest moments in their basketball program's history, just to make the tournament. So that kind of tells you where they are as a basketball program. So I, I think you're probably you're, you're getting a guy that is a leader and a guy that I think has shown growth year in year out and you look at you know and again mainly it's on the offensive end of the floor but it's a guy that has taken major steps in points per game major steps in three-point percentage so he's gotten better as his career has gone along I think this was probably the best case scenario for Carolina out of the guys that they had I think if you were probably looking for the guy that fit exactly what you were losing in Brady Manick just from in, in terms of playing style it was probably Matthew Mayer but I don't know if Matthew Mayer was really that type of energy leader guy I mean I I, I didn't watch enough of him to be honest but from what I saw from him, he was more of a quieter player on the floor where we saw Brady Manick be that guy that would sort of, I mean, he showed some energy. I mean, I put it this way. I don't think that Matthew Mayer is a bang, bang MF or guy. And I think there <laughs> might be, there, there might be a little bit of that to Pete Nance. And, and part of that is because of the family that he comes from. There's a basketball lineage there. And he's a guy that I think has a pretty good confidence about him. So I, I like this pickup all around for, for the Tar Heels. I like what you said about providing depth at the five, because this team desperately needs it there. I know that there are probably people wondering, Hey man, you know, Will Shaver came in here a year early and, you know, got to go through the off season program and everything like that. There's a reason why they made that so important to get a guy like him in there, because look, this wasn't a guy that was reclassifying as a five-star. This was a guy that was reclassifying as a, I don't even remember if he was a four-star. I think he may have actually been a three-star. So he's a guy that they got in there because he really did have that much work to do. If he ends up becoming a key part of what you do this season, you throw him in there and he shows you some things, then that's great. But to have this type of security blanket there that will allow you some times where if Armando gets into foul trouble, you don't have to basically play a guy like Jalen Washington, who we were talking about, or in a scenario that you would really hope you didn't have to see, Puff Johnson at the five where you're playing guys that are six, nine or shorter there, that that's the thing that you can now avoid. And that's the thing that I think Torrio fans should feel most comfortable about with landing Pete Nance. Oh, and at the same time, you're getting a pretty good player. Yeah, no, they really are. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, of what was in the portal at this point, yes, this was the best adequate replacement for what Carolina's losing in Brady Manick. Um, you know, I, I still thought Shannon was the guy that was going to fit the best, and I thought Mayer was going to be another guy that was going to fit really well alongside the, the, these returning starters. But 
Um, there's there's a lot of positive with Nance. There's because if there wouldn't have been, um, there you know he would have drawn out of the NBA draft a lot sooner than he did. So he, he's a guy that can play. He can play at a high level. Um, I think he's going to add some more versatile scoring for Carolina on the perimeter. Um, I know we all got used to seeing Carolina play four round run four round one this last season. Don't be surprised if they kind of get back to the roots a little bit and go three around two and, and put those guys on the block because both guys can both work and be effective from those, uh, from, you know, from the painted area, which is something Carolina lacked outside of Armando Baycott last season. So um, I, I do think where they were in the portal, he was the best guy they could go and get to add to their roster. So the last thing this brings to, uh, Nance today because we're not going to go through lineups and stuff like that. We're going to make a separate episode for that discussion. But does does landing Nance because you know you and I we've kind of gone on the record saying you know barring injuries or something of that nature, next season is national title or or, or bust for the Tar Heels. You're returning four starters from a team that made the national title game. Your two key bench guys. You're bringing in four freshmen. Um, and then you just added this transfer. Does does Nance kind of solidify that expectation for the Tar Heels that next year, you know, barring you know something, you know, uh, you know, an, an an injury or something like that, that this team should compete to win an ACC regular season title, be a one seed to cut down the nets in Houston. I mean, it's it's gotta right because we were saying before that we thought that this was a team that was at least Final Four bound, if not more. And again, this is, you are labeling this the Redemption Tour Part 2. Now, the thing that does give me a little bit of hesitancy is the amount of just sheer, sheer parity that we've seen in the sport of college basketball, especially here over the last four or five years. I think that that's the one thing that might give you a little bit of pause here. And Hey, there are some teams that have done work in the transfer portal as well. I mean, we talked about, you know, Illinois getting two guys that we talked about, they get both Matthew Mayer and Terrence Shannon. Um, now for them, it's, it's time to prove it because they've had, you know, a couple of teams that heading into the tournament team, people have been pretty confident in a la myself. Um, and you know, <laughs> Look at the team that was on the other side of the national championship game that cut down the nets this year. They put in a lot of work this offseason to fill the holes that they were going to have, and they look like a team that's poised to be potentially right back where they were this uh, you know this past year. So I think Carolina has definitely got their work cut out for them, but I think in your mind as a Tar Heel fan, this – addition should just further the mindset that, Hey, look, these guys came back for this one reason. We've added this piece for this one reason. And that's to cut down the nets at the end of the season. Now, again, that doesn't mean in, in my mind that if you don't get the job done, then the season is a complete failure. I think it just depends on ultimately what the season looks like, but my expectation going in and if, you know, but if, if I had to rank the teams in college basketball right now, I would have Carolina as the number one team in the nation. And the expectation of the number one team in the nation in the preseason is to cut down the nets when it's all said and done. I'm right there with you. Um, you're not going to find a team that is as experienced as Carolina is. 
um, with those four starters that just played in the national title game, all while playing, you know, 35 plus minutes a night the last six weeks or so of the season. You're not going to find a team that's been more battle tested because they went through the gauntlet of the ACC and look at what they went through in their run to the national title game. They had to beat a one seed in the second round. Uh, the, the the four seed UCLA, who was more like a three seed. Then they had to beat a two seed in Duke, and then they went toe-to-toe with Kansas. And so they're going to be battle-tested. And um, and so I, I think it just solidifies that that Hubert Davis is delivering on his promise that when he took the job that Carolina is going to be Carolina, and they're going to be back in the national spotlight year in, year out. Um, that that kind of looked like hearsay in January of last season when um, I fired him and a lot of other Tar Heel fans fired him as well. But since that, since the end of the season, uh, when he was able to turn that thing around and get them to the brink of winning a national championship, everything's positive about Carolina. The recruiting is as good as it's been in recent memory. You've gone back into the portal again, and you've added another quality player to an already pretty talented and now deep roster. So, yes, I mean, as of right now, when the season tips off in November, the expectation is going to be to win an ACC regular season championship, to be a one or a two seed in the NCAA tournament, and get back to Houston, and this time finish the job and win the program's eighth national championship for me that wouldn't have changed had nance not come to carolina i was already of that mindset um to begin with this just further solidifies that expectation that the tar heels should and most likely will compete for a national title next season so with that we're gonna take a quick break we'll play this week's ad from DraftKings, and then when we come back I'm gonna. We're gonna dive into two main takeaways I had from Hubert Davis's press conference when he met with the media for the first time since the season ended uh, in April last week. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet five dollars on any team to win and get one hundred dollars in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things as the NBA Finals, of course, are now over. And now the Stanley Cup Final is halfway to being over with the Colorado Avalanche up 2-0. So Hubert Davis met with the media last week for... It was roughly 35 minutes, and it was a lengthy press conference because it was the first time he had met with the media since the season came to a a close 
um, after losing to Kansas in that national title game. So we had a lot to talk about. And he, he touched on a lot of different points about um, how he's handling the guys coming back and how recruiting's going and stuff like that. But there were two, like, really things that really stood out to me more than anything um, when he met with the media last week. And, and the first one was the rotation. Um, because as it was no surprise, I mean, Carolina basically played six, maybe seven guys on a good night the last six weeks of the year. And it got them to the national title game, but it ultimately didn't allow them to win a national title game. And Hubert even admitted in that in that press conference that Kansas was the first time he looked at his team and thought they were tired, which made a lot of sense given how many, how many minutes those guys were logging especially in the NCAA tournament when you're playing on a 36-hour turnaround, um, you know, and, and sometimes even less than that. So he was asked about, you know, what do you want to do with your rotation this year? And he said, you know, he wants to play more than six or seven guys as opposed to last season, but that'll be dependent on the players. As he doesn't make the rotation, they make the rotation by the way they practice and practice and the way they perform in the games. Is is that something that like I, I I I agree with what he's saying that look I'm not just gonna you know give away free minutes or something like that but doesn't there got to be that little voice in the back of his head that's gonna be telling him look you can you you, you can maybe get back to the final four playing six maybe seven guys but it's really hard to win a, a national championship playing six or seven guys. So sh shouldn't he enter the season more open and more willing to play more guys, even if they haven't quote unquote earned the playing time? And he probably is. This is coach speak. I mean, this is classic off season speak of, you know, look, they got to earn it. And, and you're always going to say that because you don't want to hand guys minutes and not make them work for it. But I think the other thing with this roster is this roster is just too deep in terms of sheer talent not to have guys that step up and play more of a role this year, especially after the addition of Nance. I don't see any way possible that, first of all, it, I, it will not be an iron five this year. I expect that if he stays healthy, and, and that, is, that is a question mark with him, but if he stays healthy, Puff Johnson will have a role on this team. Mm -hmm. I also think that there was enough shown last year, and I feel confident that he can take another step this year. You will see a bigger role this year and a more consistent role this year for Dontrez Styles. The rest of the guys, I mean, look, that's just going to be something that you're going to have to wait and see with. But one of your four freshmen at some point is going to probably emerge in some sort of role, you would imagine, right? Like my thinking is – I see Seth Trimble probably playing some sort of role. Look, this guy, and we'll talk about him coming up here a little bit later, but he did play in for, for Team USA in the for, for their under-18 team. And in order to make that team, you've got to be pretty darn good. So in order for, you know, for, in my mind, I, I would assume that he will – get a look at some point. And I would be pretty shocked with what we've seen from him, you know, just from watching his highlight tape from the fact that he did play for the under 18 team. And from what we've heard just around circles and, and seeing him climb up these recruiting rankings, if he doesn't factor in, in some, you know, sort of capacity this year. And then also you've got DeMarco Dunn back there 
who, you know, again, as we've seen, the longer that you're in this system as a guard, the more you're able to progress. Do I think that he's going to be a major factor? Probably not. But do I think he could probably handle the type of role that we saw Anthony Harris handle early last year? Not really the, you know, guy that had to take over at times, uh, you know, towards the end of his playing time before he got suspended, but the guy that plays maybe five, six minutes if needed. Oh yeah, I could definitely see that. So I think this team is going to be deeper. I think that's just, that is a coach speak way of trying to get more out of your guys, trying to challenge them without basically telling them, look, we're going to hand you more minutes, but I don't know about you. I feel more confident with this group that we have this year. Yeah. I mean, I definitely look at this roster and, and on paper, I think it's, it's obviously it's more deeper, but I think it's also a lot more versatile with a guy like you're adding in, you know, a, a, Seth Trimble, a guy that's going to be able to, yeah, he can run your offense, but he can be on the court and play off the ball. You're adding a guy like Tyler Nickel, who's going to be a prolific shooter and is going to make a lot of threes for this team over the course of his career. But he's a guy that uh, can do a lot of things for you on both ends of the court. And then you bring in the big guys and Shaver and Washington, and they're going to give you something as well. Whereas last year, like, even with Dawson Garcia and Anthony Harris on the team and Kerwin Walton before he just, you know, played us his way out of not being being on the court, guys were just kind of like, you know, you had – it was just a roster that was kind of stuck in cement. Not a bad thing because of you won 29 games and you, you, you did a lot of great things, but there wasn't a lot of versatility to last year's roster where I think this is a roster this year that if the guys earn the minutes and they compete in practice and they perform in the games, Hebert Davis will have a lot of flexibility. He'll be very creative and he'll be able to, to really dictate mat- matchups more often than not night in night out and make the opponents play to what Carolina wants to do as opposed to the other way around. So um, and, and, and I'm, I'm with you. I think some of it was coach speak as well, but I don't think it's going to matter. I think this team is yeah, – they're motivated, they're driven to come back and finish the job. And so I don't think he'll have a problem playing more than six or seven guys. The other thing that really stood out to me was something that I thought was going to be more of a, a part of the program moving forward as a way to to really advance recruiting on a national scale was the use of the in-season redshirt. And, of course, that was Will Shaver – who had transfer or not a transfer, but you know enrolled into college at, in in January of last season and redshirted the rest of the way, but was able to go to practice, um, traveled with the team, dre- even dressed out. Even he was just a redshirt player. Um, but Hubert Davis was adamant, saying that he will not he will not do that ever again. Um, basically, just shut the door on that completely said it would just wasn't it was really hard on shaver to properly adequate himself with to the team and the program because and this is where he drew the comparison to is unlike with football when players enroll early they're in their off season and it's completely different where you're you know there's a lot more time to get used to and accustomed to the program and the expectations on and off the field whereas with basketball you're right in the middle of it um, and he, he commended Will and said he did a really good job. And it was nothing of his negative doing that it, that makes him feel this way. He just thought it wasn't fair to him. And it just it, it really added an extra strain to the staff already at, at a part of the, the schedule where it's already stressful 
because you're in the heart of conference play. I'll be interested to see how long that's how long that sticks. Because, you know, when 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 Shaver first kind of announced that he was going to you know effectively reclassify early to some degree and enroll early, we kind of thought that might be a new trend away for Carolina to not necessarily get ahead of the curve recruiting, but get another leg up recruiting while they're trying to restock and, and bring in the type of talent that we're used to seeing in Chapel Hill. But undoubtedly that door's being closed. What what do you what do you make of Hubert Davis's comments saying that uh, moving forward Carolina will not use the in season redshirt um, under his watch? I mean, it it seems to make sense, uh, you know, with how he explained it. I, I think it it's definitely tough. I mean, we saw and and with him, I mean, was it was it a redshirt like was it an early enrollee situation or he pretty much reclassified, which I think. You know, even with college, even with college football, we haven't really seen that all that much. We've seen it a handful of times. The names that come to mind for me are JT Daniels. We've seen how that's worked out. Quinn Ewers, which we have no idea what that situation is going to be. Pretty much, he basically just went to collect money. And uh, and for the Tar Heels, we've seen Tony Grimes do it, and that's probably the guy that's had the most success with it. And I think even you know, you saw his sophomore year that. There is still some youth there because, look, it's tough. You're talking about a dude that's supposed to be in his final year of high school, basically then jumping on campus a year earlier. And, look, for for any of us who have been to college or, you know, even just – I mean, for even for us that have been to community college, you know, smaller schools, you know the stress that it puts on you out of the gate early because, look, this dude is enrolling in school – and he is having to go to classes and participate in all those types of things. It's not, hey, I'm reclassifying and I'm just on campus enjoying myself, focusing on basketball. No, that's not really how it works. So it's it's definitely a challenge. And I think Hubert Davis probably saw how much stress that put on him. And look, maybe that's part of the reason why Gigi Jackson didn't end up reclassifying into this class was maybe Hubert Davis told him, look, I think it'd be best if you stay in school where most people would probably think that Hubert Davis was telling him, Hey, if you can reclassify, let's do it. Um, And and I think that again, kind of shows the difference between Carolina coaches and some of the other coaches throughout the country. It just feels like, you know, with Roy and with Hubert and, and, and probably back in the day with Dean, but just, you know, because we weren't, able to experience that with those with the last two coaches it's guys that that are more focused on the human element than anything there yes they want their team to win and have the most success but they're focused on what is best for the player himself and I think that Hubert just saw how how things went and said, look, this is not something that I want to have to put another guy through. Um, it's I don't think it's a slight at Will Shaver at all, like you mentioned and like he said. I think it's, you know, just a, a part of, you know, him maybe looking at the system and, and how it works. So um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned if you're a Tario fan because, first of all, I think it's really rare that you're going to see guys – reclassify. Now, the one concern that you would have is that, look, there are probably going to be some of those guys like Quinn Ewers, like I mentioned earlier, that are going to be 
wanting to reclassify simply just to come in and make NIL money as fast as they can. But, you know, those are the types of guys that I personally, I think that Carolina probably tries to stay away from. Yeah, no, I think it is definitely interesting. And I thought it was, you know, real raw emotion or not raw emotion, but just a raw, honest answer from Hubert Davis about something that looked they experimented with and they didn't think it went the way that they wanted it to go. And, uh, uh, and, it, and now it just will no longer be a part of what they do. And um, I guess the good news is, is that Carolina's backed in on, on the recruiting trail on that national presence to where they're not going to have to offer a guy to, you know, redshirt early and, and get on campus early to come there. Guys are going to want to come there because it's Carolina. Um, and, and that's enough in and of itself. So those are my two main takeaways from his press conference from last week. For more, check out the website, heeltuffblog.com. I went a little bit more in depth on about eight different topics above which Hubert Davis spoke on. Let's get now to some closing notes. We got quite a few bit here today because we've been off for, you know, two and a half weeks or so from the pod. The first one is a sad one. And we'll spend, a, you know, a couple minutes here on this one is that over the weekend, um, Lenny Rosenbluth, former Tar Heel, who um, was a member of the 1957 National Championship team, was an All-American and was, was really the guy that he was a part of the team that really started it all for college for, for basketball at Carolina becoming the, the primary sport and making it what it has become today. He passed away at the age of 89. And uh, for those of you that are familiar or not familiar with Rosenbluth, he was a guy that was a fixture in the Chapel Hill community, was at virtually every home game the team played in in the Smith Center. Um, he was usually in attendance for the radio shows with when Roy Williams was the head coach. And, uh, you know, you would imagine it would have been the same thing under Hubert Davis had they been in person last season. And uh, this is this is a you know, this is a big loss for the Carolina basketball family because he was a big time player and he helped guide the team to a national championship to a perfect season. But he was also the perfect example of what the Carolina basketball family was and is because he didn't play for Dean Smith. But yet he was around the program even after Frank McGuire left on some, you know, very non 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 popular terms. Um, and Dean Smith took over and then really established that family culture. And you know, he never left. You know, Chapel Hill has always had a place in his heart, um, and it was always cool seeing him in Chapel Hill for those games. And uh, I, I know you were able to write up something on the website as well about his passing. Um, as we we tried our best to honor and reflect on on the life and legacy that was Lenny Rosen Lenny Rosenbluth the Tar Heel. So, any words you have to offer on the late the great Lenny Rosenbluth? Yeah, of course. I mean, look, he was honestly. I mean, he's one of the greatest players to ever wear a Tar Heel uniform, and he's probably one of the most forgotten about players to wear a Tar Heel uniform because of when he played. I mean, you're talking about a guy that, I mean, his his single season record for points in a season in terms of average at, at, at 28 per game in that 56-57 season has never been topped and, frankly, hasn't been touched since Charlie Scott was on campus back in the 70s. So you're talking about a guy that even in the, you know, pre-three-point line era – was just taking over games. I mean, look, he's, you know, when, 
he did it in, you know, big time games in the regular season, but he stepped up in the tournament as well. In that 1957 tournament run, he did not score less than 20 points in a single game. His lowest scoring output was 20. And that was in the national championship game against Kansas where everybody struggled. They remember 54, 53 and triple overtime. And he still had 20 points to lead the team, but he still at, at now that record has been tied. It was later tied by Al Wood, but he holds the record uh, or is tied for the record for points in a tournament game with 39, which he scored in a second round matchup against Kinesis during that tournament run. And he also had a game in there against Michigan state where he scored 31 points that still ranks inside of the top 10 in terms of all time tournament performances uh, in Carolina history, but he took 43 shots in that game. So you're talking about a guy that was pretty much everything for that 1957 Tar Heel national champion team. And look, that was a team that the previous two years, it, they really weren't all that successful. I mean, in 1954, 55, they didn't even finish with a 500 record. They were a team that was 10 and 11 and, you know, really struggled at a conference. They were all right in conference, but it definitely wasn't what you would expect in 1955, 56, they win the ACC regular season, but they fall short in the ACC tournament. Don't make uh, the NCAA tournament. So this was a team that Really, you talk about some of the other great teams in Carolina history that, you know, won national championships. They sort of built up to that slowly where this team, I mean, they took a gigantic leap to go from a team that missed the tournament the previous year. And, and, and granted, the, t- the tournament field was much smaller, but to go from that to an undefeated squad that beat Will Chamber- Chamberlain and probably one of the best teams that didn't win a national championship in college basketball history it's truly amazing. And, you know, for him, I mean, he, his, he has three seasons where he scored 20, where he averaged 25 or more points per game. And all three of those seasons in terms of point per game average rank inside the top six all time in Carolina history. So this guy, when you talk about the all time great scorers at Carolina, just guys that were walking buckets, Lenny Rosenbluth, has to be up there. We're going to remember him, of course, as the older guy that got honored at a lot of games and everything like that. But this was a guy that, as you mentioned, but you know, he moved back to Chapel Hill almost immediately after his NBA career ended and wanted to be around the community. He was a guy that was a huge part of the Tar Heel family. And this is one that is going to be tough for a while. And, and I, you know, I, I can't wait to see how they honor him because you know, it's going to be something special whenever they do honor him during uh, this, this upcoming season. Special indeed. It will be, Um, we referenced this a little bit earlier in the show, but both Seth Trimble and uh, uh, current Tar Heel commit Gregory GG Jackson. They were both members of, Team USA's 18 and under team that um, won gold medal, I believe, down in Mexico um, just a couple of weeks ago. And they were two of the best players on the court um, for Team USA as just another example of just how bright the future is for Carolina. Of course, Trimble coming into Carolina this season. Gigi Jackson will be in Chapel Hill 
the year after that. Speaking of the freshmen, they released their their jersey numbers for the upcoming season. Will Shaver will once again wear number 21. Tyler Nickel will be in number 24. Jalen Washington will wear number 13. And then Seth Tremble will be in the number zero. Uh, moving on here, um, former UNC guard slash forward Kerwin Walton, who entered the portal um, shortly after the season came to an end. Um, he has now found a new home. He has transferred to Texas Tech and will be a part of the Red Raiders program, a, a program that is now very stable and is a constant contender in the Big 12 and on the national landscape as well as they made the Sweet 16 this past season, uh, made the national title game three years ago. So Kerwin Walton has found himself a new home, um, as as did Dawson Garcia, who, of course, went to Minnesota earlier this cycle, as did Anthony Harris, as he found a new home up in Rhode Island as well. The last thing we have to talk about, and I teased at the beginning of the show, was that a current member of the pod met um, Roy Williams over the weekend, and that uh, that happened to be me. If you haven't seen the picture up on my Twitter or Instagram, at HTB underscore Josh, and this was uh, in large part, too, because my little brother is in Chapel Hill as of right now going through Carolina's annual basketball camp, and the main reason why my path was able to cross paths with Roy Williams is the fact that um, Roy's grandson was in the same group as my little brother. Um, and so at the end of the night when they were playing pickup games and the historic but hot Woolen Gymnasium, well, that's where Roy Williams would venture into. And uh, he was there on Saturday, the first night of the camp. I was informed uh, that I was, I was going to have a good chance to meet him on Sunday, and sure enough, I did. Um, he walked in the gym about 7.15, 7.30. After my family, we saw him trying to get into Mama Dips, which, by the way, is not closed down like I thought it was. Um, and a good uh, and a good example of how good that food is, at 6.30 on Sunday night, the wait time was an hour and a half. Um, we saw him at the restaurant. He made it known that he was going to be in the gym later that evening. Sure enough, he was. Him and I uh, sat 15 feet away from each other. Uh, we watched basketball. Hell, we both coached basketball, you could say. And after it was over, um, I did introduce myself and took my picture with him. And it was it was the best thing, um, you know, when you, you've idolized someone like that. Uh, I often said he's the man that had the second most impact on my life outside of my father. Um, and he's a re he's a big reason why I'm a Tar Heel and why I love Carolina basketball the way that I do. But, buddy, to bring this full circle, um, I mentioned this on air at the radio station. You and I both work. And uh, a former personality at the station called in to deem my actions of taking a picture with him unprofessional. And that even, the, even though this was a non-media event, because I am an active member of the media, both working for a sports radio station – running a blog and hosting a podcast, I should not have asked a former Hall of Fame head coach to take a picture. Do you agree, sir? Uh, no, because this is, you know, we all have those guys that, you know, we, we still idolize. The guys that, you know, were in this before we started, you know, officially working in the field that, you know, we would all take a picture with if, if we got to meet, um, you know, and I, I think the other thing is, is that, I mean, it's, it's a little bit different. You didn't ask him for an autograph. I think, 
you know, with pictures, we've seen that before where guys, you know, get pictures taken with them and everything like that, you know, at events and stuff. So I, I didn't really think it was a big deal. You know, I hope that one day I, I can, you know, get a chance to meet Roy as well. Um, that it will hopefully be sometime here in the near future. But, you know, for me, yeah, I think at this point, you know, we both want it, want to meet him and you got the chance to, but I think the biggest thing for us and something that would mean more to us for sure would be to sit down and interview him on this podcast. And I think that would be, you know, that's where it's a little bit different. Yeah. The picture is great and, and, and it's awesome, but I think that's where you've sort of matured as a journalist is that now that ultimate goal is a little bit different. It used to be, getting an autograph. It used to be just getting the picture. Now it's about, Hey, the ultimate goal is to have him sit down with us and talk about his career as a head coach at Carolina, even, you know, as you know, the early days, an assistant coach, even a player at Carolina. So, you know, that's, I think the point that you have to get to, but look, we all have those guys that you, you, you idolize. And if you saw that person, there's plenty of other guys. And I mean, look, this, this former host that called in, maybe he doesn't idolize anybody in sports and that's a miserable existence. I I mean, that's how I feel because there are, I'm pretty sure that every guy that is at that station and any guy that works in sports media, there is somebody that along the way they grew up rooting for that if they saw that person in public, they would ask them for a picture. It's just, that's what I, I think everybody has that person. So I don't fault you for it at all. Um, And I think it really just shows that you are, you are a diehard sports fan. And for us, you know, with what we do here, I think part of it is that, look, we know that part, part of the way that we cover this team is from a fan perspective. There, there is, you know, sort of that, that lean that we have on it. We're not guys that are trying to be directly down the middle. You know, we're not going to be homers. We're not guys that are going to come on here after a 45 point blowout loss and tell you, well, at least the team tried, but we're, Mm. we're going to be guys that, you know, look, we are going to get excited about certain elements that fans would get excited about. So I, I think, I think you're good here. Yeah, I think so as well. And look, buddy, um, I know that I am your idol. And whenever you want to take a picture, whenever you want to have my autograph, just got to ask. And I'll be willing to take a picture or give you my signature and uh, go on my happy way. I could not idolize anybody less than you. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. Well, guys, that is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you guys go, we do encourage you get over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for the latest on Pete Nance transferring into Carolina. More takeaways from Hubert Davis's press conference. There will be a story to come this week about, um, you know, the starting five and, and, the, and the potential lineup situations for Carolina. Um, now with Nance in the fold, as for the football side of things, um, it's starting to pick up as well with, with, with some big time recruiting visits and stuff of that nature. And we're only roughly a month or so away from the start of fall camp. So before you know it, we'll be in full swing, getting you ready for the start of a very important football season for Mac Brown and Chapel. And so you can find all that coverage over at heeltoughblog.com. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Uh, we're still a member of the basketball podcasting network. They have not kicked us off just yet. 
But you can find us on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast, and we will pop up. If you can like and review the podcast, that would be great. But most importantly, we encourage you guys to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the podcast throughout the remainder of the off season. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com, to find the best basketball podcast.